Hello and welcome to The Eco Chamber, a podcast on all things environmental policy brought to you by the investigative team of journalists at ENDS Report. I'm James Adjipong Parsons. We have a very special episode for you today following the release of ENDS Report's second documentary, Wilderness, The Wounding of England's Last Great Wild Spaces. It deals with the ecological collapse of our national parks and the most protected sites housed within them, sites of special scientific interest. Through the lens of Dartmoor National Park, we investigated why hundreds of millions of pounds have been poured into the recovery of these SSSIs over more than a decade, with little or no benefit witnessed on the ground. So, in our documentary, we spoke with farmers and environmentalists who live in and around Dartmoor. And they gave us their testimonies about how the ecology of the National Park has been allowed to deteriorate, the sad consequences for people and for wildlife, as well as the precarious future that lies ahead. One of those we met on the moor was Tony Whitehead, who's an environmental campaigner um, and who also works for RSPB, who explained the problems of Dartmoor are long-standing and complicated, but he still firmly puts the blame on sheep for the dramatic decline in the biodiversity on the moors. Here he is speaking to us at West Mill Tour, where he took us to a place which he said proved that sheep were destroying Dartmoor's protected sites. This is where there was a a temporary fence put in about five years ago. And what's interesting here is you can literally see the fence line that you have. On this side, this is normal grazing. On this side, this is a period of about five years when grazing was excluded. And just just look here at the height um, of the bilberry. Average height of the bilberry up to about 10 centimetres if you were lucky. Inside here, average height 30 centimetres. But it's not just the bilberry. um, The the heather is starting to come back here. And so what you're starting to see is this community, this dwarf shrub heath. This is one of the key designated features of the site of special scientific interest here in North Dartmoor. This is the reason why it was given protected status. And this is what it should be looking like. And just to jump back in here, because I do think it's important to re-emphasise, what Tony was really talking about here was that bilberry and heather, which gives them the triple SI designation. I don't know, my first thoughts kind of go to this rewilding forester's vision of a broadleaf woodland but it's not that that's not what has been lost or what gives it status it is this heather moorland it's a very rare landscape globally and a managed one too which is that interesting dichotomy of kind of working with nature working on the land and i was really sort of surprised and sort of excited to hear so many skylarks these ground nesting birds sort of scattered in pockets around the moor but in the round, the money which has been spent on trying to improve them seemingly hasn't worked. And here's Tony again. There's no shortage of money that's been thrown at this problem, certainly over the last 10 years, tens of millions. As you can see, if you look over there, it doesn't look like this. So clearly there's been failure here. The government has targets. It's supposed to be restoring 30% of the land of this country to good condition by 2030. And here we are in 2023, in places like Dartmoor, in one of our premier national parks, and much of it still like a moonscape. In Dartmoor, we know that £30.3 million has been spent since 2009 on an environmental stewardship scheme called the Higher Level Stewardship Grant, 
which has paid farmers grazing in those triple SIs to reward them following the prescriptions that have been set to them by Natural England. And that has included things like taking sheep off Dartmoor in the past and a couple of decades ago, we know that cattle were taken off. Now, those numbers are big and we know that because of N's analysis on the HLS grants and the triple SIs within the national parks, including Dartmoor. And that's N's exclusive analysis of government data sets and triple SIs and the maps of the different national parks of England. So you can go to our website and check out Wilderness where we've got a series of articles and analysis there. What was really interesting, actually, when we were filming this was just that everyone agrees that there are problems on Dartmoor. Okay, it's not that anyone is blind to the ecological problems of what's going on there. But what was so interesting was that Whilst everyone agrees on that, it's the solutions which are creating the problems and stirring the tensions on the moor. So it was really amazing to be with our farmer for our film, which was Helen Radmore, and we filmed with her on Shale Prior Commons. She was viscerally upset with what's been going on. It was really plain to see when we spoke to her. And she does feel that she and other farmers have been unfairly treated by Natural England. As we're coming up the hill, we should be getting on near the plateau and we will just see a tremendous amount of millennia as far as the eye can see. We've got these huge tufts. Look at it. This is last year's growth and probably growth from before that. And we're losing so much of the plants that are inside. We've just got this and it goes on and on. We are being asked to do something without the ability and without being able to use the management that we know is needed. Natural England, unfortunately, haven't been listening to the farmers. Farmers are very nervous of doing something wrong within their agreements in case they get fined. You need to get the cattle in and the cattle will start pushing their way through and trampling this and this will break away and it will let light in and we'll get more and more dwarf shrub and we'll have more and more diversity. We need this balance of our livestock being able to live on the moors, which is their home, but we need a better balance between cattle, sheep and ponies to do that work. Natural England removed a lot of cattle 25 years ago and without the cattle, the sheep graze in a smaller and smaller place because they don't like trying to amble through all this lot. It was really amazing to film with Helen and there were some absolutely breathtaking views where she took us for the day. But she was doing it because there is a lot at stake for her and the other hill farmers of Dartmoor. Essentially, the removal of sheep from the moors, which she said would spell the end of things, not just for her and her family, but all the other farmers on Dartmoor. This would lead to us having a total breakdown of our culture and of our heritage, of the moors, of our commoning, of our life, of all of our generations that have come before us. Dartmoor is not looking how it should do and it's not working for the farmers, it's not working for the public and it's not working for Natural England, it's not working for the triple SIs. I think there's a lot that we need to look at. So to talk more about these triple SIs and our findings at ENDS, I'd like to bring in our features editor, Tess Colley, who can sort of talk to us a little bit more about what's going on here. So Tess, what do we know about Dartmoor National Park and the health of its triple SIs? Well, 
what we found is that the state of SSSIs in Dartmoor is particularly bad. More than 80% of them are considered in poor health, and that's one of the lowest across all of England's 10 national parks. Pretty bad. And at the same time, what our analysis has shown that is in Dartmoor, where we've got this really poor percentage of favourable status SSSIs, government has paid out £30.3 since 2009 into these HLS schemes for farmers to improve the situation there. So clearly something is not working. And when we looked at this, we sort of grouped together unfavourable recovering, unfavourable declining, and sort of really pinpointed that, you know, that favourable condition percentage. Which is, sorry to jump in, but it's interesting because in a lot of government statistics, you often see unfavourable recovering is grouped in with favourable. And so you end up with these larger proportion of favourable SSSIs reported. But it's only when you look into it that you see that it's because they're... And to, for something to be classed as unfavourable recovering, often they just need to show they've got a plan in place. Right. Not that it's actually in a good ecological state. So that's an interesting thing to bear in mind when you're looking at these statistics. And in Dartmoor, honing in on that favourable percentage, if you just look at that, you know, only 19% of its SSSIs mm. are in a favourable condition. And it is one of the worst, you know, ranking along sort of North York Moors National Park, the triple SI's there and the Peak District triple SI's there. The numbers are big in Dartmoor. What's the national picture? So nationally, what we found is that it's a total of £331 million that's been paid out to farmers across all of our national parks since 2009. And, you know, when you look at the figures for triple SI's across the whole country, you find only one quarter of them are classed as being in favourable condition. And that's actually below the national average, which according to Natural England's latest figure stands at 38% for triple SIs across all of England. What you see is actually protected sites within our national parks are worse off on average than outside of them. And we've been paying millions, <laughs> you and me, James, in our taxes, we've been paying millions for them to end up in this way. It's not good. <laughs> I'm upset. And, and and rightly so, because it's big money. And, you know, we report on this stuff all the time. So it is such a revelation, I think, that the documentary exposes. And what Helen was sort of saying to me, and I think what is an interesting point to mention is, although you'll hear these different contributors on the film speaking to us for, you know, three, five minutes, the reality is this is weeks and weeks of speaking to and finding out about what's been going on in Dartmoor mm. and the other national parks. And one of the things Helen spoke to me about in our research calls and which we didn't really get to ply into in the film because later on we spoke about it but you know she she does think that a lot of the problems with natural england reside in the funding issues and the resourcing problems and that's where we kind of come on to Reuben Douglas and Julia Conybeer from Natural England who were brave enough to speak to us on camera about the problems they've been having and how this is impacting their ability and their colleagues ability to do the job so take a listen to this interview where I asked Ruben some questions about what's been going on. I am a union rep for the London office of Natural England, but I work on projects in uh, species conservation for water voles. Um, but yeah, I've been sort of increasingly involved in, um, in union organising. So Ruben, how are these things impacting you on the job? Basically, we have DEFRA and senior staff who are saying that, you know, species conservation strategies are a priority and they want, you know, that these three projects to start for water vole, 
dormice and widespread reptiles, but then that's not being met with the resourcing and capacity that we actually need to do that. Because of the caps on procurement that are set by DEFRA, it means that we're not able to pay to do that survey. Surveys are very time sensitive, so that means we miss a whole year effectively. And that means the whole project is delayed for a year until we can get that baseline evidence to actually inform how best to conserve these species at a landscape scale. The urgency is there and increasingly more funding is there, but without sort of being able to build that power and, and change those sort of external constraints that are being placed from DEFRA, then we're not going to do it. And we have to be realistic about how badly we are making progress, you know, because, you know, if you look at triple SIs, for example, we only put 0.2% more land into triple SIs last year. So we're nowhere near the target of, you know, reaching 30% of land protected for nature by 2030. We're nowhere near the government's statutory targets on, um, on species abundance and biodiversity. We're way off and we've got to be realistic about this. Tess, you've been looking at Natural England staffing levels and resourcing and strikes for a while now. Can you just tell us sort of what's been going on there, kind of summarise it for us? Yeah, so Natural England has been feeling a lot of heat in Dartmoor recently, as we show in the film. But management have actually been feeling heat from its own employees for a while now. What we've seen is unionised members of Natural England been going on strike this year, but they've been also taking action short of strike for, for well over the last year, overpaying conditions. And you know we've reported on staff using food banks, having to take second jobs and this sort of thing. But what's started to come out recently and what comes out in our documentary is that these the kind of the low pay and the lack of progression is leading to this churn and difficulties in retaining skilled staff and something that was actually gestured at in a National Audit Office report this year. And it's impacting the agency's ability to deliver on, you know, some quite ambitious targets, which is what Ruben is talking about just there. We've got these big ones halting to the decline of species, all of this and that. But the actual agency in charge of doing so is, is struggling with it. And I've had multiple conversations with multiple people in Natural England. And it's across the whole organisation. It's not just these two people who bravely spoke to us on record. People who, you know, don't want to speak on record because they're, you know, worried about what impact it could have on them. It's a real concern. Yeah, and let's just listen to Prospects Union Secretary for Natural England, Julia Conivere, who recently went out on one of those strikes. The last year or so has really brought into focus quite how people are struggling. A good proportion of our members are actually having to take two jobs. Um, so a lot of them will be working in the evenings throughout the weekend just to try and make ends meet. And we do have members that we're aware of having to use food banks as well. So it really is as serious as that. Using food banks? Indeed. And I'm afraid that the wages and the starting salaries we have is simply not enough to carry out a decent uh, living for a lot of our staff. So, so I'm sitting in Dartmoor now and the health of our triple SIs are in a bad way. As someone in Natural England, how does that make you feel? All of us in Natural England, we are so passionate about the environment. It really is a job that we do for the love of it. It just hurts us when we see there's continued decline in nature despite our best efforts. Uh, something's going wrong. So at this point, let's put our findings to the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA. They said, and I quote, we must take action to restore our protected sites and halt nature's decline. 
That's why our comprehensive environmental improvement plan sets out renewed ambition to improve the condition of protected sites, including interim targets and measures to achieve favourable condition. Thriving nature and sustainable food production are inextricably interlinked, and we are working with farmers across the country to find solutions that work for both. This includes our new environmental land management agreements, which will reward farmers for protecting the environment. So there is an awful lot to unpack there and something which we weren't really able to do in the documentary. So Tess, who's better to explain this stuff to me than you, I picked out environmental improvement plan and environmental land management scheme in sort of two parts. What are they? What's the EIP? The EIP. So that is... It's a big document which sets out the steps the government intends to take to improve the natural environment, in short. And that includes measures needed to meet its targets on biodiversity, trees, water, waste, that sort of thing. And among those biodiversity targets was that big one to halt the decline of species by 2030, along with some other legally binding long-term ones on things like increasing tree cover, habitat creation and marine biodiversity. And there were some shorter targets, but those had no, no legal weight there kind of policy targets. What DEFRA don't say in that statement, which is, I suppose, interesting, is that the protected site target, which they mention in the IEP, falls into this latter category. So there's no legal underpinning for that stuff. So the government has stated an ambition for all SSSIs to have an up-to-date condition assessment by 2028, and 50% of them to have actions on track to achieve favourable status by the same date. So, you know, you can decide what you think about that, to have actions on track to achieve it by 2028. It's not saying actually have it improved and, you know, to have an up-to-date condition assessment by 2028, that would be, you know, an improvement on the current situation. But when this was published in January, it was met with huge disappointment by green groups. And they've, you know, many can, this is when I'm talking about the RSPB, like big ones like that. This is one of the big things they wanted to see from these targets and it wasn't in it. And they've, they've been deeply disappointed by it. And what about ELMS, this environmental land management scheme, mm-hmm. the government saying that that's going to help reward farmers for protecting the environment? Yeah. What's that about? Yeah. So it's the name for this new regime, which replaces the farm subsidy model that we had when we were in the EU. And in this previous system, farmers were subsidised based on things like the number of livestock, the land kind of area the farms covered. And this was needed basically because farming is not a profitable business. And just being a farm selling food you can't live off that in this which day is and crazy. age which is madness I don't think many people know that so the core idea of the elms environmental land management schemes is that farmers should be paid for delivering public goods rather than just subsidized for doing farming they should actually deliver something it's a payment not a subsidy and these public goods are primarily meant to be environmental ones and it's true that this elms is a cornerstone of the government's plans to meet a lot of its targets because what you can't forget is that about 70% of England's land area is comprised of farmland, which is huge. But Elms has faced a lot of delays and there's been a lot of tussle over how it will work in the uplands in particular, which includes Dartmoor. So it's not quite off the ground. It's sort of getting there. But, you know, we're in 2023. We're only seven years out from 2030 when we're meant to have halted the decline of, of species. And these farming schemes aren't really up and running in the way that I think people thought they would be at this point. And I put those points to Natural England's Regional Director of the Southwest, Dave Slater. Take a listen to this clip of the documentary. And I began by asking Dave about the trust and the relationship between Natural England and the farmers at the moment. 
some farmers we've spoken to have said they've lost trust with natural England. Do you understand why? I have a lot of sympathy with farmers, the farmers on Dartmoor. It is actually quite an uncertain time for them with the uncertainty of the schemes, the costs are going up. However, we've got a job to do, you know, we're the statutory agency. Our job is to support nature recovery on, on those sites. And I, I do think our communications could have been better. Some of them did feel rushed into change, um, but we're acting in good faith. You know, we do believe we're giving them the right advice to allow those habitats to recover. Natural England has got fewer staff looking after triple SIs than it did 10 years ago. Is that impacting your ability to do the job properly? Like many public bodies, we reduced in size significantly over the last 10 years. I think that did mean we had to cut back on some of our work, including on SSIs. I mean, I'm pleased to say we are larger than we've ever been Natural England now. There's been significant investment in the last couple of years. We've got the resources we need, but I think the challenge would be for us to really develop those skills uh, you know, in, in this new workforce that we've got. But what does Natural England think about the unfavourable condition of so many of our triple SIs in national parks? I mean, it's disappointing. I think nature recovery in the uplands is a big priority for us. I think it's been very, very difficult for those farmers to adapt. It's not as easy as perhaps applying those agri-environment schemes in the lowlands where it's more easily controllable, smaller areas. We've got a new scheme coming and um, I think, you know, we're all hoping that will be you know, of benefit in the uplands to, to nature and to those farmers. These aren't paltry sums. We're talking nationally hundreds of millions, Dartmoor, it's tens of millions. What have we learned from that experiment? The amount of high-level stewardship that has been out there, the environmental outcomes, you know, have been considerable. Could they have been managed better? You know, could we have delivered more? I think that's certainly true. But, you know, I, I'm focused down here in the southwest and what we're doing. I'm pretty confident that the agri-environment schemes that we're putting in place deliver sort of good, you know, value for, 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 for taxpayers' money. We've been told that staff pay and staff retention rates are hampering the watchdog's ability to get on and do the job properly. Is that true? So what, what worries me is our very technically skilled and very experienced staff. I think sometimes we do struggle to recruit those. I would be lying if I said it's not like a short term concern of mine to retain skills. And we are starting to um, find different ways of doing things, working with our partners to capitalise on these opportunities that we have at the moment. I don't want to psychoanalyse each interview, but I do want to get your reaction test to these comments from Slater, because I thought they were interesting. Hmm. I mean, was there anything you sort of picked out from his sort of replies to me? Yeah, I mean, I think it's true what he says when he talks about natural England being back up to size and, you know, that natural England is larger than it's ever been, following what you said was what significant investment in the last couple of years. Like that's, that is true, and you might hear that and think, well what's the problem then or what are the staff complaining about really because yeah last year natural England received like 34 percent increase in funding and that's you know third consecutive year of increases but i think what's important to point out is that you know based on these conversations i've been having with people for the, at least the last year longer i think is that although this new funding is coming in a lot of that money is, is going into the new policy initiatives such as biodiversity net gain big things being talked about at the moment but it's the regulators' core work areas, such as in carrying out protected site condition assessments and 
other things like advising local planning authorities on planning applications. These are the things that are being left overstretched. And these are the people I've spoken to and they're saying things like, you know, naturally is losing its influence in the planning system due to high, like the high turnover due to pay. Um, and it's impacting relationship building. We've seen that in Dartmoor exactly. You know, one insider said to me in March, not not regarding Dartmoor itself, but they said, if you've got, you know, someone comes in and builds a relation that's gone in two years, the people um, you're working with, like the farmers, lose faith and the relationships fall apart. And that's kind of what we've seen happen in Dartmoor because this communication just fell apart. So it's just interesting to note that, I think, because... Yes, things have been improving financially for Natural England, but it's about where they're told to direct that money. That's a big part of the problem here. Thank you. I think that's really pertinent. And I, that is something that Slater does sort of, you know, quietly apologise. Our communication could have been better. And I, I think that's absolutely right and a fair take. And another thing, you know, again, these these interviews, what there are things that we couldn't include. I thought there were some interesting things. Slater was talking to me about rewilding. He thinks that it could be a very interesting idea um, for kind of restoring and improving nature. But again, you know, following within what Natural England are doing, he was just talking about his personal opinion on that subject, mm. which we couldn't include in the film. Um, but you listeners are getting it firsthand. So we're getting there and we're starting to understand what's been happening with the agri-environmental schemes. But for part of the documentary, we spoke with Professor Janet Dwyer from the University of Gloucestershire to sort of really bear down on that. And um, she specialises in rural policy and sort of just told us why these agri-environmental schemes have been failing and why her solution as payment by results would work in the future. They were developed in an era when we had a lot more resource for this. We had a lot more people on the ground. We had more people farming and we had more people in the agencies. The notion of a payment by results scheme is that you move away from a contract in which a farmer is signing on the dotted line to follow a set of management prescriptions and for that they get paid to a system where you're saying, look, this is what we'd like to achieve. Can you help us achieve it? And you're giving them some ownership and some involvement in the whole endeavour of trying to improve the habitat. What we're hoping with the new scheme is that we can get a good working partnership, we can get the wraparound support to make it effective, which means, you know, access to advice from different areas, thinking beyond just the ecological management, but also about the sustainability in the long run. So helping the businesses to have a business model which is compatible with sustainable management for the ecology, but it also helps, you know, them make a living. The group trying to bring all these different people round the table to manage Dartmoor's 95,000 hectares is the Dartmoor National Park Authority, who, contrary to what you might think, don't really have any statutory powers. They do have access to some bylaws, which made things very difficult for me to try and fly a drone around the National <laughs> Park, although we did manage to get permissions in some places. But yeah, they, they don't really have an awful lot of power. And going into the film, I thought, well, why, why aren't you guys you know, sorting this out? What they are trying to do is broker the peace or broker some sort of treaty, so to speak. And to help restore these places, I met up with Jazz Austin, who deals with a lot of the water stuff for the Park Authority and one of the managers on the Southwest Peatland Partnership Project, which has been funded through Natural England. Um, take a listen to this. Try and imagine three pools of water of buns of varying heights and uh, it was very rainy and it was very windy and it was very difficult to film but jazz was brilliant and yeah take a listen to this 
What we have here is an example of this year's peatland restoration works, which is fantastic. So you can see all the peat dams that have lined up this gully. And what we have here, as you can see, they're already starting to fill up. This will help the moor store more water and it actually acts as a natural flood management tool as well because this will help the water stop reaching the rivers downstream and that reaching communities. And here, the millennia grass, which is dominating this landscape, is actually dying because it can't cope in these flooded conditions. We're really hoping by bringing people around the table that we can help facilitate the kind of constructive conversations that we need to have in order to make sure that people from all different groups that we're representing from the farming community to the ecological organisations and the statutory bodies that we can help bring those groups together. I think it's a shame that the HLS agreements that we've had so far haven't seen the ecological restoration that we've wanted to see on the moor because what we really want to see is a resilient landscape as we're kind of seeing more extreme effects of climate change. So we allow the moor to hold more water and also that we keep the carbon that's in these kind of precious peatlands. Work like this really matters. At the moment, just on Dartmoor, the peatlands holds as much carbon that the UK emits over one year. And if we don't restore and stop these peatlands from drying out, then that could end up being emitted. There are a lot of things going on here and there are a lot of different solutions which are being put forwards. The problem is no one can agree on what solutions are needed. And one of those solutions is rewilding, which is a very loaded word these days. And Derek Gow is one of the UK's top rewilding experts who lives just outside the National Park. Here's what he had to say about what's been going on with the amount of public money spent on SSSIs in national parks. But I think it's deplorable. We've spent huge amounts of public money to try and conserve nature and try and improve the prospects of nature. And what we've had in return for that over the course of the last couple of decades is, is, is further calamitous decline. And we need to look at you know, a real commitment from government and a real commitment from the Nature Conservation Authority, Natural England, to start sorting this process out. What we need to do is we need to reshape the land. And we need to say there is a greater purpose for this and the greater purpose is nature restoration. And it's not just something that's a nice thing to do, it's something that's absolutely vital. Derek took us around his farm and I've been fortunate enough to visit it once before. We turned up, there were these sort of three camera crews it was kind of like a media city of the rewilding space. You know, they were filming water bowls. I think another one was doing beavers. And obviously we were there for Derek. So it was an interesting, <laughs> an interesting sort of space. He is a man of few words, but when he does say things, they, they Boy, pack does a he punch. Say them. He does. He does. And, we, and, and one of the things we were talking about, he's got there, he's got sort of educational purposes. He's got these uh, wildcats, the European wildcats. And there was an interesting discussion point because... In the Kengorms, they're actually releasing wildcats this year. Mm. And that is the hope they're going to bolster sort of a, a small remaining group clinging on in the wild. And this is what Derek had to say, because I think he's concerned that wildcat can be synonymous with lynx, which can be synonymous with wolves and this kind of mm. apex predator hierarchy. So, so here's what he had to say. This is a wild cat, it's not a lynx, it's actually quite a small carnivore. So it's an animal that was once found right the way through Britain. You see he's just gone underneath that log, he hasn't really, he's just dropped off but he's still watching. You know, people actually really delight the return of creatures like this and are keen to see more wildlife in our wider landscape. It's a very easy animal to live with again, but we're going to do it. We don't want to talk about this for very much longer.
There's no reason at all when you look off to Misty Dartmoor in the distance why there shouldn't be eagles flying over there. As far as golden eagles are concerned, there are conversations ongoing about the reintroduction now to the Midlands, and I am sure that will happen. And what was interesting about Derek was that when I asked him about wolves as the top apex predators, and when we talk about rewilding, I think people can jump to the top. I think that you do have to be very careful about lumping wolves and lynx together. We need to make sure we separate those two predators out in the discussion. But just focusing on wolves, I sort of thought he was going to shy away from that question and maybe just talk about the wildcats or maybe the lynx if we want to, to sort of reforest some areas of Dartmoor or other national parks. But no, he went straight for it. Yeah, and, and, and here he is. We know that you can live with wolves. There are wolves in the National Park, um, Velua, which is right in the middle of Holland. So the idea there can't be wolves here is just utter nonsense. Time of ecological emergency. Why are we just not doing it very quickly? We know how to do it. We know that it can be done. There's no reason why we should be foot dragging at all with regard to very many of these restoration projects. We should just get on with it. The problem is when you look at Dartmoor in the distance and you can see its, its purpley, misty heights rising there, you go and ask the people who farm sheep there and they will say no. And there is this interesting point between what we've got now and some of these, particularly these moorland birds, these ground nesting birds, like the skylarks, and this man-made habitat, which isn't working now, but if it was working, what would that look like? As opposed to potentially reforesting or aforesting. And there are these tensions between what to do next. And that is where, you know, as we were filming, I felt like this was such a live topic. The issues around this film were moving all the time around what's going on in Dartmoor specifically, so much so that the government has now intervened, Tess. Yeah, so back in April, the farming minister, Mark Spencer, agreed to an independent evidence review covering the ecological condition of nationally designated sites, so that's triple SIs, on Dartmoor. And um, as we were making the film, this progressed. And yes, yeah, so just a few days ago, last week, DEFRA actually confirmed that the person who's going to chair this review into the management of protected sites on Dartmoor will be David Furzen, who's a big figure in the kind of farming industry, an experienced industry figure, DEFRA itself said, uh, which is true. He holds multiple high-level roles in the farming industry, including chair of the Institute of Agriculture and Horticulture, and also chairman of Dyson Farming. I mean, we don't know what the outcome of this review is going to be but until that review has reported back which i think is anticipated for the autumn natural england's actually sort of gone back it's paused all its plans about telling farmers that they need to take the sheep off the the moors basically in parts where they're triple si's that's not going to happen in most circumstances now until this review uh reports and then some new hls agreements will be agreed for the next four-year period I think a lot of people in the sector are watching this, what's happening in Dartmoor, as a potential, a bit of a canary in the coal mine, because what's happening here, like we've been talking about, triple size are bad everywhere, really. Um, so what happens in Dartmoor could be meaningful for what happens across the country. Is Natural England going to have its hands tied a bit over what it can do or say about the management of these sites? Because... A lot of people, a lot of campaigners would say this should be completely science-based. And Natural England are the kind of the natural the natural science, if you like, regulator. They should be the ones deciding what is and isn't in a good condition and how that should be managed. If that is changed, that will be very controversial for a lot of people. And the point and the purpose that we have to remember is 
one in six species are at risk of extinction across Great Britain. And that is a driver to want this change, to find solutions, however difficult they may be, and find common ground between all these different stakeholders. So I wanted the documentary to end on a bit of hope. And then Tony Whitehead, he took us to this beautiful little spot where he sometimes goes to to record birdsong. And he had all the kit with him, the headphones, the boom mics, the recording devices. It was lovely. And it was, I mean, it was lovely just to watch him set it up and really sort of just film him enjoying the experience. And yeah, it, it was these little points that he said, and he put it so lovely. He said it, these sort of small pockets give him hope for the future of the National Park. And yeah, here's Tony. And I brought you here because it's just so different to where we were before. Here you have got gorse in the valley, but it's providing a nursery for all the rowan trees you can see here, the saplings. And eventually the woodland that you see at the top will start to dominate this valley. Um, and essentially this little valley here will just quietly rewild itself. So we've just been listening for a few minutes and there's been robin, uh, there's been blackbird in the background, a wren just in the uh, gorse here, linnet and redpole and medipipit in the distance and there's cuckoo and that's of course what the cuckoo is interested in, the medipipit's nests. So really, you know, quite a rich little valley and you can, you can hear this. I think it's places like this where you've got a little bit of regeneration going on. They just sound good. They sound good and they sound rich. Um, and it's these places, these little places around the edge of Dartmoor that really do give me hope that not all is lost and we can restore this stuff and stuff will come back and nature will persist. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode of the podcast on our documentary Wilderness, The Wounding of England's Last Great Wild Spaces. If you want to watch it, please go to our website. You'll find lots of different articles and analysis pieces accompanying it. All the team spent a lot of hard work putting it together, and yeah, we hope you enjoy. If you have any thoughts, opinions, heresies, criticisms, or... Outrageous things. Outrageous things that you think we've done wrong or very right please email us ecochamber at haymarket.com. Please do consider subscribing to the ends, which basically that your subscriptions allow us to make this, these important investigative pieces. And in the meantime, do share this podcast with a friend. Until next week, take care. <laughs>